The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 21 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. Again, to check out the recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So this month, Task Force 7 Radio has been named one of the best cybersecurity radio shows on the internet by Player.fm. Now, as most of you probably know by now, Player.fm is one of the most popular radio and podcast sites on the internet, and Task Force 7 Radio is available for playback on Player.fm 24 hours a day. So I'm very proud of this accomplishment because it's, it's only been a few months that we've been on the air, and we've managed to achieve this recognition, among others. And I really think this is just the beginning for Task Force 7 Radio. So you can find all prior Task Force 7 Radio episodes for playback on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, and as I mentioned, Player.fm. So we're everywhere. You can't miss us. Check us out. TF7 Radio playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. Please don't forget to subscribe to Task Force 7 Radio on your favorite playback medium. You can also learn all about TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Just follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. So just keeping it real, check us out on Twitter. I mean, we've been pretty good with tweeting on Twitter right now, but I think we're really starting to pick it up. So lots of information about TF7, our shows, our guests, and just, you know, sometimes cybersecurity information in general. I mean, check us out. Check us out on Twitter, at TF7 Radio. All right, so we've had another great guest for you tonight. Nick Stamos, the CEO of eShare, is going to be on the show tonight. So Nick co-founded his fourth company, eShare, in July of 2012 and has raised over $10 million in non-institutional monies for the venture. So investors include top executives from Zoom, Cisco, Microsoft, Broadcom, SpaceX, TD Ameritrade, and TCW. So a lot of respect out there for Nick, and that's why he's going to be on the show. So Nick is a super intelligent dude. He has about nine patents issued over his career, and he holds a Bachelor's of Science and a Master of Science degree in electrical engineering from Tufts University. And his previous companies, including Phase Forward and Digital Guardian, have returned over a billion dollars in returns for his investors. So that's right. He's a player. I love it. So now eShare, which was formerly called Encrypted Cloud, and you can probably find that by Googling Encrypted Cloud as well, started as a solution to simply protect files in cloud storage providers such as Dropbox and Box and OneDrive, you know, Google Drive, you know, the standard um, cloud storage providers. So, but they quickly realized that it wasn't enough to secure the data in the cloud, as ex- external collaboration capabilities of cloud storage providers were inadequate. So eShare expanded its services, building enterprise-class external file-sharing capabilities on top of their supported cloud providers that met the needs of highly regulated or IP-sensitive ecosystems. And they achieved this without sacrificing the ease of use, making secure sharing simpler, more reliable, faster and cheaper, 
than a lot of the alternatives out there. So basically, eShares lets you exchange information securely, which is extremely valuable in and of itself, but especially in cross-border environments. So if you haven't heard of eShare, be sure to check them out at their old name, EncryptedCloud.com. That's with an E-N at the beginning. That's E-N-CryptedCloud.com. So Nick... He's an extremely knowledgeable dude, man. He's, got, he's in a variety of different areas in cybersecurity. And one of the subjects I plan on asking him about is about the market saturation in cybersecurity and the possibility that we are in a cybersecurity bubble. I'm going to also ask him about the security in the cloud and how CISOs are making this massive and important transformational change into the future. So you're not going to want to miss it. He's got some really good things to say. Nick Stamos, coming up on the second and third segments of the show. So last week was a great show with Adriana Sanford, who has just as much class as she does knowledge in cybersecurity law. And let me tell you, she knows a lot about cybersecurity law, meaning that she's very classy professional. She's an expert in her field, and I felt privileged to have her on this show. I can't wait to have her back. But unfortunately, some classless individuals sought out to attack her credentials as a cybersecurity expert because she has a law degree and not a computer science degree, which in my view is absurd and makes some people in this business look pathetically insecure. So these classless, pathetic people, and that's what they are, completely pathetic, and I'll get to why I'm saying that in a minute, made not only disparaging remarks on social media about her, specifically about her knowledge of computer science and computer operating systems, which, by the way, she was not on the show to talk about, She was on the show to talk about international regulatory issues around data privacy and data security, and that is what she did speak about, issues that are clearly in her purview and expertise, not computer operating systems, okay? But also they made remarks about her looks, too, using them to disparage others in the industry, specifically IT contractors, as fat white guys, quote-unquote, who need to ask, do you want some fries with that contract? Really? Really, folks? That's the intelligent commentary you have to contribute to the cybersecurity discussion on a business network? This small group of people, just a couple of them, a bunch of clowns, okay? Clowns. So some of the comments that were being made on my post promoting Ms. Sanford on the show were so derogatory, I had to immediately delete them. But some... I was able to leave up so that the audience could see what I'm talking about when I speak about them today. And what's more, see the individuals who apparently have nothing else better to do than go around social media making silly, disparaging remarks about other professionals. Because after all, these are the public comments that they are apparently so proud of and they're okay with the whole world reading. And by the way, the post has 14,000 views already. I mean, people are reading it. Believe me. Believe me. Okay. People are reading it. And it wouldn't be surprised the post hits 20,000 views over the next couple of weeks. So I encourage you to go to my profile on LinkedIn. Find the post I made six days ago about promoting Adriana Sanford as a cybersecurity legal expert and CNN commentator. And of course, tier one guest on Task Force 7 radio. And read some of the comments that are posted there. There are only a few left. But I want you to read them. I want you to read what these clowns are saying. And I'll tell you why right now. I'm talking about this because I noticed something since I've been doing this show. So first, let me me preface this by saying that I've been a huge supporter of women in technology and a true believer that we have to get more women interested and involved in the cybersecurity space to win the talent war we are currently engaged in. This has been a consistent theme of this show. If you're a regular listener, you know this. And I've had some very high-profile, extremely successful women as guests on this show, and I'm going to continue to do that. And at least two of my female guests have shared some of their experiences and opinions about the difficulties of navigating the cybersecurity and larger technology professions as a woman. And I think it's important for all of us to hear this because it's important for us to all understand the challenges women face if we are ever going to do anything about fixing these problems. And we should fix them because it's the right thing to do. And secondly, because we need to do something about attracting more women into this space. So... This is my 21st episode, and I've had a bunch of guests on this show, and I think I've had guests on almost all the shows, but a few of them, which I did myself because I had a lot to say about a particular topic at the time. Now, the only time anyone has ever challenged the expertise of a guest or mentioned or made comments about the appearance of a guest was when I had women guests on the show. Now, I know 
I know there are a bunch of you out there right now, a bunch of people, men and women both, saying, oh, here we go. Redis is going to say they're attacking her because she's a woman. And they're going to get all kinds of criticism. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. But I'm going to say this. It's a fact. The only time anyone has attacked the expertise of a guest or made comments about the appearance of a guest, or even when I had to delete the comments made on a post because they were so nasty, is when the guest was a female. That's a fact. That's not up for debate. That's not my opinion. I've had about 20 shows. That's a fact. And by the way, when comments were made about a female guest's appearance, they were made by both men and women. That's right. Females got right into the action, and some of them, sometimes, some of them even initiated the conversation about a female guest's appearance, which, by the way, all my guests have professional photos. They have excellent business acumen. They're professionals. This is a tier one show, and I'm proud of it. All right. So I was watching these comments, and I saw someone actually like a disparaging remark. They liked it. They liked it. Hit the button. Someone I, I happened to be connected with on LinkedIn. So I hit them up privately, and I'm not going to say what comment was liked or tell you their name or give you any information that would help you determine what, who this person is, because that's not what I do. I don't have private conversations with people and then out the person on the radio. That's not what I do here, okay? But I want to share with you how our conversation in general went, because it's very enlightening to me, and it, it was, it, I think it was very interesting, okay? So I wrote to this individual, and I said, I just saw that you liked this shameful comment that someone made about a female speaker that appeared on my radio show that I promoted in one of my posts. And I was just wondering, would you give that, that comment the same support and justification if it was made about a man? Did you actually take the time to look up Sanford's qualifications about data security and data privacy, the subject she was promoted to talk on? I then asked the individual if they thought, because Sanford didn't have a computer science degree, that they were more of an expert in cybersecurity than she was. Again, I, I, I don't want to say what their degree was in because I don't want to out them in any way, and that's not what I'm getting at here. I further ask this person that I'm interested to know if you think you are more of an expert than she is on data security, data privacy, and international cybersecurity laws. I want to know. And I told them in no uncertain terms that the comment they liked was petty, and the fact that they liked it and supported it makes them look petty too. So a little bit of a surprise to the person's credit. They responded by telling me they liked the comment because they thought it was funny and it was not their intention to denigrate anyone. Fine. And the person further, further commented that, you know, for me, for sure, that they are not more of an expert than Sanford is on data security, but they were an expert in other areas of cybersecurity that I won't mention for the same reasons I cited before which they noted was also a part of the cybersecurity space. So I guess it's okay to make fun of someone if they're not an expert in the same domain of cybersecurity that you are in, especially if their domain is less technical than yours, then it's cool. That's what I got out of that. So this individual responded to me by saying, they found the comment funny because nowadays it seems that everyone is calling themselves a security expert, quote unquote. Which, look, man, I, I can't disagree with that. And I mention this all the time on the show. And if you're a regular listener to this show, you've probably heard me a few times, more than a few times, mention all the fakers out there, right? There's a bunch of fakers out there because, you know, this person that I was speaking to on LinkedIn was right. There are a bunch of fakers out there in the cybersecurity space, especially. But to think about one of the guests on this show being a faker is mind boggling to me. I mean, especially if you listen to the show regularly. I mean, the reaction I usually get when I ask someone to be on the show is like, hey, look, man, are you sure? You have some pretty heavy hitters on this show. I mean, would I fit in? Or wow, I mean, thanks for considering me in the same league as some of your other guests. That's awesome. So, I mean, no one, and I mean no one, is coming to me telling me that my guests suck, all right? Now, especially if you listen to the show and you listen to some of these other podcasts out there. I mean, please. So, like I always say, this show isn't a couple of guys sitting around in Star Wars uniforms geeking out over triple death algorithms, okay? Of course, we get technical sometimes. That's the nature of what we do. But I want to tell you, we are talking about the real issues on this show, the issues that affect people in their lives, and the issues that they really care about. So, look, I digress a little bit, right? So, the person further stated to me that I could have avoided disparaging comments by others on, on social media by recognizing Sanford as a data security, data privacy, and international cybersecurity law expert. I, I forgot the word law. So, I guess the disparaging comments made by others are allegedly my fault now. That's pretty funny. 
And then they also addressed my questions about the gender, which I appreciated. They said, this is is interesting in their mind, that they don't know why the topic arises every time we talk about a woman, but they really don't care about the gender. Even if she was a man or even an alien, this person would have said the same thing. They would have the same reaction from them. So in their humble opinion, it's better to specify in which cybersecurity field the guest is an expert in. This will attract the right people and avoid funny comments. This is all my fault. So again, I thought this was not very meaningful. I mean, if, if I don't specifically mention the specific area of expertise, which, by the way, was mentioned in the post, right? The data security, data privacy, international law, all mentioned in the post. Then I guess the guest is really open to shameful ridicule as well as I. And, and it's not professional law, at least in my mind. It's not professional. And I just see it as really petty, man. Something we got to get past. So look, I responded by telling this individual that it's odd. I didn't feel like the comment was funny at all. I seen it was shrouded in insecurity. I thought it was childish and insulting. LinkedIn is a business network. This isn't romper room. The guy who made this particular comment, he's a senior executive. He's supposed to be in a business leader in this industry. He's not the class clown here. And to be fair, the post specifically mentions that Sanford will be speaking on data security and data privacy from an international perspective. So it's spelled out. It's spelled out on what their expertise is in the post and what she's expected to talk about. And I also tell them that although I get their point about people mis- misrepresenting themselves as cybersecurity experts, but by, by, by this person's definition, uh, it, a cybersecurity expert, there are no cybersecurity experts. Because we now have to identify each expert by their specific domain and not by the parent field of cybersecurity. And if we do that, we're open to childish ridicule. I mean, come on, people. How petty are we going to get here? There are about 12 cybersecurity domains out there. I'm going to define them all when we build TF7, the TF7 platform, and they will all become normal in our verbiage and our nomenclature so that we can establish some uniformity and parity in the way we all speak about cybersecurity. But for now, I explained to this individual that regarding gender, the topic comes up because it's much more of a problem than they think. Think about this. I've never had anyone challenge the expertise of any of my male guests. But the expertise of every single female guest that's been on this show has been publicly challenged and several of them ridiculed about their looks on my post. Why is that? Why is that? Someone, someone whispered me that. Do you know how many women look at this and are outraged by that guy's comments? They sit there, but they don't say anything. A lot of them don't say anything. But do you know how many women have reached out to me and have said something about that guy's comments? A few. A few. And quite frankly, it's hard not to understand why they are disgusted by another male literally mocking another female guest, who, by the way, is world-renowned. She's world-renowned speaker and recognized as an expert in her field, and she is an expert. Okay? So trust me, at a minimum, the optics are horrible. Regardless, I thought about what they said regarding the domain, and I, I spoke to another cybersecurity professional on LinkedIn about it as well, who also agreed with the other person that I probably could have eliminated some of the criticism with the way I actually said it and be more specific in the post. So although I didn't think it was necessary to edit my post, I did edit it because in the end, editing the post from cybersecurity expert to cybersecurity law expert really was more accurate than less accurate. And certainly my intention was to promote Sanford as a renowned cybersecurity legal expert, which she certainly is. So in summary, so Two things came out of social media this week. One is apparently people are much quicker to attack the expertise and physical appearance of a female guest rather than a male guest on the show. No matter what the excuse is, I don't really care. That's a fact. All right? That's just a fact. It's not my opinion. It's a fact. And two, some people, especially our technical friends out there who keep us all safe, are extremely sensitive to the fact that we call someone a cybersecurity expert who, by their very own admission, is certainly an expert in their cybersecurity domain, but who shouldn't be called a cybersecurity expert because it seems their lack of technical prowess insults others in some way, shape, or form. That's my take. Interesting stuff going on here in the cybersecurity world, and we'll talk about these topics and more in later episodes of the show. So, by the way, if you didn't listen to the show, Sanford gave a great interview. I did get a ton of compliments on her. She is a great communicator. I encourage you to go back and listen to her on one of the playback mediums if you didn't hear it. She was awesome. And as a reminder... We're getting closer and closer to launching the premier cybersecurity network in the world, Task Force 7. Stay tuned over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together. I promise you we're going to make it happen. Task Force 7, 
Get in the fight, baby. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with CEO of eShare, Nick Stamos, to get his opinion on cybersecurity and emerging technologies, if he thinks we'll have a cybersecurity bubble, and if the evolution of cloud computing is going to save us all after this short break. Don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the CEO of eShare, Nick Stamos. Nick, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So it's good to have you here. So security relative to risk and security relative to compliance has been a topic of the last few shows here, and I have a pretty strong opinion about it. I'd love to get your take on this. What's the difference in your mind? Aren't they the same? Are they the same thing or aren't they not the same thing? Uh, they're definitely not the same thing. Um, you know, security is really looking at the efficacy of what you're doing. And compliance is really meeting a regulatory requirement in terms of what's there. And so the old, um, uh, long time ago, my, my second startup was a company called Phase Forward. We were in the clinical trial space. Highly, highly, highly regulated space. And uh, everything had to sort of meet uh, regulatory compliance. Specifically, there was a compliance call 21 CFR 11. And um, we had a compliance expert that I was learning from and sort of teaching us, you know, what, you know, submitting new drug applications to the FDA was all about. And it was all about having a repeatable process that was measurable and could meet essentially um, the regulations in terms of what was there. Uh, and uh, but it did mean it had to be effective. Right. So her, her analogy was think about this. You know, as long as you can build a concrete, a concrete canoe consistently. Right. In a reliable fashion. Uh, that met all those requirements, it didn't mean that it actually had a float, right? So concrete canoe is going to go to the floor, but it can be compliant. And that was the way I think about it, is compliance is really about meeting those regulatory requirements to avoid fines, but it doesn't mean that its efficacy is necessarily going to be what you want at the end of the day. And that's that's the big challenge and problem that we have today. So obviously, which one's more important to you, the risk and value piece of this rather than the regulatory or as the CEO of a startup, does it matter? As, as, uh, if I put my, hand, my hat on as a CEO of a company, uh, from my point of view, security would be much more important. Um, as a CEO of a, of a uh, company that's in the uh, compliance regulatory space, um, unfortunately, the reality is budgets are there for compliance. Budgets are not there for security. 
Uh, and so uh, that's where I have my dichotomy, which is from a business point of view, compliance is extremely important because that's what's funded. Uh, but personally, for, for my company, um, security is really the number one concern. The efficacy of what we do is most important. So do you find in your customers and your clients that that it's actually, actually the regulatory piece of this is more important? Unquestionably. That's what's funded these days. Um, everything has to have some sort of compliance angle if that's what you're going to go after in terms of what's there. So uh, unfortunately, the reality uh, of the customer base is that compliance is what drives purchases. All right. I tax the cyber attacks and especially malware attacks are getting much more sophisticated as every day passes, as you know. And so I, I want to ask you something about the solutions that we see in place today. Are these cybersecurity solutions that are hitting the market, keeping up with the evolving threat that we're facing? I think it's an, I think the strategy and the approach is, is getting more and more untenable. You know, the concept of having an operating system that can never be compromised or a machine or a network that can never be compromised uh, is one that I don't think is a valid strategy, right, in terms of what's there. Because it's getting more and more difficult. The tools are getting more and more sophisticated. And, you know, uh, as you know from your background, especially in Secret Service, right, is the bad guys only need to get it right once. The good guys need to get it right all the time. Uh, and the chances of getting it right all the time, uh, it just gets lower and lower. Systems get much more complex and much larger and much more difficult to sort of manage. So I think that um, although there are more sophisticated solutions coming out, I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up. And I think we need to sort of roll things back to the basics um, uh, when we think about security. And one of the opportunities to do that uh, is the cloud that seems to be coming on strong in the enterprise. Uh, and I think that's the opportunity to take a step back and rethink your approach to everything. So what are the other basic cybersecurity threats or actually concepts that companies should be thinking about in their cybersecurity well, initiatives? People forget at the end of the day, the point of a compromise is to exfiltrate data, right? That, that's the point of it in terms of what's there. Um, compromises are not as much destructive oriented, although you have, you know, some of this, you know, um, uh, ransomware and this and that type of thing. But I think, those are very, uh, although they get a lot of press, they're very simple things to resolve, right? You know, keep your data in, in, in a cloud storage provider and you can roll back anytime something gets encrypted. It's not really a particularly complex issue to resolve. Um, but at the end of the day, the focus is really getting, getting the data exfiltrated. You can be compromised. You can have all sorts of bad guys in your network until they exfiltrate the information. It doesn't really matter that much. And, you know, malware for the most part these days, if you think about it, is it's getting more and more sophisticated uh, and it tries to get less and less detected to achieve that objective. It has to basically be more efficient. It has to be more stable. It has to be, uh, you know, uh, very uh, little uh, low resource uh, utilization. Um, it has to use very little bandwidth. So all of the trigger points that made it easy to identify malware, um, they have to behave much, much better as software running in your infrastructure in order to evade detection, which means they're becoming less and less from a, from a sort of a, a, a disaster recovery point of view and, and an attack point of view, they're not there to disrupt what you're doing if they're there, to, they're there to steal the data, right? And so if you take a step back and you say, well, what's the best that a piece of malware can do? Uh, it could basically emulate an insider, right? And if you're emulating an insider, then you can exfiltrate information in, in a fairly straightforward way. So the first thing I would ask, you know, if I, if I was thinking about this problem is, how can my users and how do my servers send information outside my organization today. How many different ways does that actually occur? And when information leaves the organization, um, are my secure sort of exit points simply secure pipes? Or am I actually securing the data all the way to the recipient and still maintaining visibility and control? So to some degree, although the threats are getting much more sophisticated, I think that the, the concept of getting more and more sophisticated in countermeasures, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. I think we're to get it back to the basics focus on the data uh, and see how do we sort of contain uh, uh, data so that even an insider uh, can't essentially exfiltrate it inappropriately. And if we take care of that, most likely we'll at the same time be solving some of the malware issues. With all the new solutions out there, there's tons and tons of, uh, of new technologies coming out. Are all these emerging technologies being built with security in mind? Yes and no. Um, I think some of the new solutions that are coming out there 
um, are doing a, a pretty good job at, at, at meeting uh, some of the compliance issues, making sure that they have good auditing capabilities, make sure that they have good identity access management, make sure that they can integrate well uh, inside an enterprise organization, you know, which is good. Um, I think the, the, the perimeter of the organization is becoming the identity. I mean, I think you've heard people say that before. I do believe in that. Uh, the perimeter is sort of in general going away of anything uh, that's out there today. And that's, and, and that's some of the, the, the advantages uh, in terms of when you think of new technologies, when you think of new solutions, you know, how do you sort of rethink your security model? Um, and that, that's what I think the big challenge most people are going to have is, is that from what I see in my personal experience with my customers, um, they have suddenly gotten into a rush to get into the cloud. Um, and they're not necessarily, um, they haven't spent the, enough time playing with it, understanding it. Um, and, and rethinking essentially these models to, to really embrace it appropriately. So even if the solution provides better security and better controls, if you're not leveraging it correctly, you're not going to get the benefit. And, and that's the big gap that I see uh, is, uh, you know, end users are getting educated by vendors. Um, the analysts are no longer, in my opinion, doing their job educating end users uh, because the stuff's moving way faster than they're able to keep up with. And you've got sort of this whole that um, I, I think that the enterprise IT folks need to take responsibility for themselves and fulfill it because there's no excuse today. If you're not familiar with, with uh, take something simple as email, right? If you're not familiar with Office 365 and you're not, you're not familiar with, you know, Google apps or whatever the case may be, shame on you if you're an enterprise professional. It costs four bucks a month for you to go out, get an account, set it all up and start educating yourself. Um, and YouTube University is great. I mean, a lot of the stuff is out there. It's available. There's, an, there's enough stuff there. Um, and if you haven't done that as an enterprise professional and you haven't invested, you know, five bucks a month in, in getting this stuff up and running yourself personally, um, then, uh, you know, shame on you. So when we talk about cost, uh, you know, how about smaller companies? Are smaller companies at a disadvantage relative to bigger companies in terms of rolling out a mature cybersecurity initiative? Because these big companies have the big bucks, but... In, in even middle-sized middle, middle uh, companies are not really funded in a way so that that they can actually mature their programs the way some of these large organizations can. Uh, how much of a disadvantage are they? That's a great question. Um, the disadvantage is, not, is no longer the cost of infrastructure, data centers, servers, you know, software, this, that, and the next thing. The disadvantage is knowledge, right? Is can the small companies get access to an IT professional that actually understands uh, the basic concepts of the cloud, the basic concepts of security, information security, so on and so forth. That's a disadvantage. If you have somebody with that knowledge in your organization, um, you're probably at an advantage over a large company because you don't have the legacy uh, sort of components that they have and, and are stuck with them. Um, so from a cost point of view, you know that, 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 that $5 a month for Office 365 pretty much put you on par with, more, with most large enterprises. In fact, I would say probably put you ahead of most large uh, Fortune 100 enterprises because they can't keep up with the patching the servers as much as Microsoft's keep, keeping up with patching their servers or Google's keeping up with patching their servers sort of going forward. Um, so you have the opportunity from a cost point of view to have a massive advantage over large companies. The problem is can you find the right person uh, and, and the right skill set with that person to be able to leverage that. So when I, if I'm a CISO of a small company and w w there's so many, I think the so many startups out there, I think I, I heard in a conversation, uh, one of my friends told me there was 6,000 new cybersecurity startups out there. Now, I, I don't know where they got that number and I should have asked. So, you, you, know, I, you know, just being totally transparent, I don't know how accurate that is. But regardless, there's a lot of cybersecurity companies out there offering cybersecurity solutions. And how is a smaller company supposed to navigate this landscape to find solutions that work for them? You know, a lot of those companies in that complexity is trying to adapt to sort of legacy infrastructures that are out there today. You know, the traditional sort of uh, hard shell, soft inside network architecture. Um, as, a, as a small company or small company CISO, if you start with the basics and basically assume there is, there is no perimeter, you focus on the protecting services and protecting the data uh, and not the endpoint devices um, and, and, and the network, then you're at a significant advantage. 
right, over a large company um, that has to deal with a lot of legacy components, legacy applications, legacy um, identity access management systems, so on and so forth. Um, you know, for, it, it's it's so easy today to get up and going, uh, you know, for example, a combination of, you know, Office 365, you know, with single sign-on capabilities, with a full-blown version of Office, with Salesforce, you know, with this, that, and the next thing, all fully integrated with single sign-on and, and all sorts of endpoint control, I'm sorry, and, and all sorts of uh, data, you know, data management capabilities that it's, it, if, as long as you know, right, how to put the Lego pieces together, which is the complexity, uh, or, the, or not the complexity, but the requirement of the knowledge, uh, you're, you're at a huge advantage, right, in terms of what's there. And you're not really, you know, you don't have the same concerns and issues as a, as a large uh, Fortune 100 company is going to have that's worried about hundreds of thousands of desktops and legacy desktops and, and you know, supporting old versions of software and, and the fact that they're always behind the eight ball because they can't actually apply patch management because they have legacy applications that they have to task before they can apply patch management and so on and so forth. Um, there's a lot of advantages in being a, being a small company today as long as you have the knowledge. So I see a lot of cybersecurity companies out there failing. So it, are, we in a, are we in a bubble right now? Is, it, is there a bubble out there in the cybersecurity space? There's no question. I mean, the, the market can't support it. This is not enough money in the market to support those companies. Um, and in fact, I think there's a, you know, there's a, there, there's a lot of disillusionment. Even the companies that are quote unquote succeeding, when you look at the numbers that they're generating, they're not in terms of revenue, they're not really succeeding by, you know, standards of the past uh, in terms of what's there. You know, companies that have been around, you know, you know, five, six, seven years, companies that have raised over $100 million in capital, um, them barely being able to generate $30 million a year is a complete failure. Why is that happening? Um, after, after that amount of time. Why is that, why is that happening? Why in, in the past that wasn't the case? And, and it seems like it's more the norm now. Why, why is that phenomenon sort of occurring now, you think? Well, there's my, you know, I'm not an investor by any means. I don't, I, you know, I, I do follow the market and this is my, what I've sort of seen and what I think happens the following. Um, there was a, there was an ecosystem in the security world that was very well known, right? The deal was this, you would go out, you'd raise a bunch of money, you'd raise between, you know, you'd raise your first round at about 10 million bucks, you'd raise your second round for another 20, you'd raise your third round for another 20 or 30. So overall, you'd raise between 30 and $50 million dollars. You'd achieve essentially a run rate between 30 million and 50 million in revenue, um, you know, using the traditional sort of uh, sales process. And uh, at that point, a Symantec or a McAfee or an IBM or whatever would come in and pick your company up, you know, somewhere between uh, anywhere between a 5x and, and uh, uh, you know, maybe a 7 or 8x multiple, right? So your, your $30 million revenue company would sell off for, you know, maybe 200 million, 250 million, 300 million dollars, something along those lines. Um, and you had these serial entrepreneurs that kept on doing that, right? So you knew as long as you had something interesting, as long as you got customers, you'd have an exit. It wasn't a, you know, Facebook exit, but it was a, a reasonable exit where everybody sort of made money. And then FireEye came along and then they IPO'd, right? And then you had the first sort of unicorn in the security space. And then all of a sudden the valley goes, huh, that's kind of interesting. Um, my company's just as good as them. Why shouldn't they be worth a billion dollars, right? So on and so forth. And all this frothing started occurring in valuations, right? Which is, hey, I'm not going to sell for a couple hundred million dollars. I'm going to, I'm going to keep on going, and I'm going to be the next unicorn, right? And at the same time, right? And this is, you know, when the economy is sort of not doing so well back in the 2008, 2009, 2010 timeframe, the 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 security companies are going like, I'm not paying a billion. You know, what I used to pay for for 250 to 300 million, suddenly they're demanding a billion plus dollars, right? And, and, and they're saying, I'm not paying that. Forget it, right? And the, the, the critical part of what happened around that same time frame is that interest rates went to zero. And what that basically gave the security companies an alternative to say, instead of me buying the next company to generate additional revenue to increase my stock price, I'll just buy back my own stock. Guaranteed, basically, increased earnings per share, right? I don't have to take a risk and, and paying these crazy rates. And so you've got this, this, this market that got completely screwed up. In terms of you know the big boys with the with the deep pockets are no longer buying startups or not not no longer buying as many startups right as what they used to. The ecosystem is sort of screwed up. The valuations have gone crazy in terms of what was there, 
I don't see these companies IPOing, and I don't know how they're going to even sell for the multiples that they want. And so I think the whole ecosystem is broken. So right cons- now. Considering that you think it's oversaturated and that we're in a bubble, do you think we're still going to c- continue to see the sharp increases in spend in the cybersecurity space over the next few years? Right. Absolutely, because <laughs> it's only getting worse, uh, and it's it's not getting any better. It's like in you know, to some degree, it's compliance and insurance, right? That's what we're selling. So as your losses get bigger, right, the more you're willing to spend on insurance uh, is, is what it comes down to. And I don't see the losses getting any smaller. I only see the losses getting bigger um, unless companies can really, unless companies have the stomach for truly reinventing themselves and, and taking a new approach. And I think they have that opportunity. I think as, as in the last 18 months, I've seen a massive increase in the large Fortune 100, even in the regulated space, um, whereby they're embracing cloud technologies and solutions. Um, unfortunately, they don't necessarily uh, do it with the best of planning because it's almost like, you know, suddenly one day the CEO woke up and said, hey, we got to be in the cloud, goes to the CIO and says, is it you uh, that's going to take me there or your replacement? And all of a sudden, you know, the same companies that said we're never going to go to the cloud because it's too expensive and then had every excuse in the world are now going there headfirst. Um, and that's the unfortunate part, which is I do believe in the cloud. I do think people should be going there, but you should be going there with the right planning, knowing sort of what, what, what you want to achieve. And doing it in a rush is most likely not going to allow you to get it right. Uh, and you're going to lose an opportunity to sort of, you know, reinvent your, your infrastructure. Right, Nick, we got to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from Nick Stamos after these short messages. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm back with our guest, Nick Stamos. So, Nick, you started talking a little bit about the cloud in the second segment of the show. What impact will the evolution of cloud computing have on information security into the future? Is it going to be positive or negative or a balance of both disadvantages and advantages? What's your take? I think the cloud can have some significant advantages if it's leveraged correctly, meaning that if companies take the opportunity to... Um, leverage cloud technologies in such a way where they eliminate their, their, they eliminate their perimeter, right? They really go to an identity access-based management system for everything that they're doing. 
um, that will help them quite a bit uh, in terms of providing a much more secure infrastructure instead of the traditional, you know, eggshell uh, infrastructure, what's there today. Um, as I mentioned previously, unfortunately, what I'm seeing in implementations is not that. People are going to the cloud. Uh, they're going to Office 365, for example. They're going to Google Apps. Um, and they're taking their traditional on-prem information security infrastructure, uh, and they're not evolving it. They're, they're trying to keep it the same. Uh, so instead of taking a step back and thinking, okay, how do I reinvent my network security, my information security, my network DLP, they're thinking, okay, how do I adapt what I have today to essentially the cloud? And I think that's that, that's a big lost opportunity uh, in terms of what's there. Um, and it, it makes absolutely no sense. So it seems to me, whenever I talk to anyone, that everyone's so enamored with the cloud right now. And will, will the cloud solve all the sins of the past? You know, I think it can help you um, eliminate bad habits um, if leveraged appropriately. So, you know, um, the company today, eShare, my, 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 uh, my company that we have today, um, we were born in the cloud, right? It's my fourth company that I've done today, um, and we don't own any servers, right? Everything we do is cloud-based. And so, you know, is that better or is that worse, right, in terms of what's there? Well, and actually... And, and the first sale that we did, you know, about three, three and a half years ago, we had a full out because we work with large Fortune 500 customers that are regulated. The first thing you have to do with any sort of uh, customer potential is you fill out this usually 60, you know, 60 page self-assessment form. Um, and when we first got it, we were really scared because we said, well, we're this little company. We've barely been around two years. You know, how well are we going to do in the self-assessment form? And it ended up that we did extremely well because most of the self-assessment form when it came to sort of a security review, had to do with bad habits that you usually get into when you can physically touch the machine, right? When, you, when you're actually are turning on a machine, when you're actually the one that's installing the operating system, when you're actually the one that can, you know, directly connect as a privileged user to it, uh, when you don't have to necessarily change the default passwords on things, um, that's where you get into some, some really bad habits. And a lot of the security review has to do with, with those simple bad habits. When you're born in the cloud, um, you don't have a lot of choice but to lock down the machine, but to have a firewall in every single situation, but to secure every point-to-point sort of communication that's out there. Because if you don't, you, you know, your service or your machine or your order is going to be taken down in minutes, right, in terms of what's there. So it, it, uh, it forces you to basically not um, uh, get into some bad habits because you don't have that option because you, you can't touch it. You can't physically connect to it directly. You, you, you can't do certain things. So, you know, if, you, if you're smart about it and you understand sort of what you're doing going forward, um, it, will, it will enforce practices upon you that uh, are much, much better off uh, than, uh, than sort of legacy development. And, and that's sort of what we found. Um, if you don't think about what you're doing, for example, um, it can be very bad, right? So um, working with another one of our clients, a Fortune 10 company, um, if you remember back uh, maybe about a year ago, remember the DIN DNS um, attack that actually occurred and took down a whole bunch of the internet? Yep. yep. So I was talking to this one customer, and we, we happened to be running DIN DNS with our service, so we were also affected. Uh, and I said, hey, as soon as we, you know, as soon as I saw the attack happen, we simply switched our DNS servers over to another, another provider. Uh, and, you know, within 10, 15 minutes, we had the whole issue resolved, right? No big deal. Um, and, and this gentleman that was working for a Fortune 10 company is like, yeah, I wish we did that. He goes, we were stuck for a week. And I said, well, well why on earth didn't you just switch everything over and, and, and be up and running? He goes, well, because the TTLs essentially on the DNS entries were set to one week instead of being set to seconds. And when I asked the team, why did you set the, 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 the time to live essentially for these DNS entries to a week? They said, well, because that's, that's, that's what our standard was, right, for our, for our own corporate sort of infrastructure. Um, and, and that's the people miss, the fact that, hey, when you're, when you're setting standards in a cloud environment, you can't use the same sort of parameters that you used internally. Uh, because internally, you're in full control of your network, right? Uh, it doesn't make sense to have uh, DNS entries updating very, very frequently because things don't change that often within your corporate network. So you're just adding additional sort of strain to the network without needing it. In a cloud environment, things are constant. The only constant is that everything's constantly changing. So you have to set very, very fat, low uh, TTL so that your DNS can change very quickly. 
And so a simple mistake like that basically put this company at a disadvantage where they couldn't make a change for, or even if they made a change, it wouldn't take effect until a week later. And that's just a very trivial, simple example, but something that's massively impactful. So the people, so people from my point of view, right, said, hey, this is great. I survived that attack in minutes, right? It was no big deal. Uh, Whereas uh, a customer of mine that went through the same experience had a horrible experience with the cloud because they didn't set up the correct parameters. So it goes back to knowledge, right? Is, is the cloud can allow you to be much more flexible, to have uh, many advantages in terms of what's there, but you got to know what you're doing. So you touched upon third-party risk a little bit. You touched upon the third-party assessments. But are internal security teams having these proper discussions around their security posture and their strategies as more and more companies migrate to cloud solutions? What's your take on what you find and and what you hear from companies when you talk to them? There's a massive, massive knowledge gap out there. They're not even asking the right questions. They're asking questions and and, and they're asking questions from the days of, you know, something running in an on-prem environment, you know, in terms of what's there. Uh, then the, and, and, and there's a massive knowledge gap that I see out there uh, in folks in terms of they're, they're headed towards the cloud, but they're going to it with the mindset of the way that things work today. Uh, instead of starting with a clean slate um, and, and saying, well, how is it supposed to work? What are things I really should be worried about? And I think part of this is because, like I said, for whatever reason, and I can't explain why the last 18 months there seems to be a massive switch uh, in terms of, you know, priority and cloud-first strategy. Uh, but it's happened for whatever reason. And it seems to me that the IT organizations, they're just not ready for it. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't see, other than them um, taking responsibility themselves or educating themselves, I don't see how they're going to get that knowledge other than, you know, um, the fact that it's free and it's available and it's easy for people to, to, to grab it and start using it. Well, having, having said that, I mean, so how does that yep. change this, the CISOs and the CSOs job functions over the next three to five years? I mean, what's that look like? It's a radically new change, right? It's no longer built to last. It's built to change, right? Everything, every, every decision that you make today, you should be thinking about in the next 24 months, right? 24 to 36 months when there is, which you're guaranteed there's going to be a new, better technology for whatever I'm doing today. How do I easily move to it? Because if I don't plan for migration at the beginning of whatever new thing I'm doing, I'm going to get stuck on a platform that I can't get off of. And the advantages of that next generation platform are going to be so significant that um, you can't afford to not go there in in terms of what's there. So this whole concept of of, of build to change um, and architecting essentially for change is something that they really have to wrap their, their head around. And it's, you know, from a CIO's point of view, it's going to be every application. You know, okay, so Workday is the best HR application today. Let's just assume that's the case. That's great. But I, when I'm, while I'm implementing Workday, I should already be thinking about how I'm going to go to whatever the heck the next Workday is going to be in a couple of years uh, in terms of what's there. And that I think is, it's a big mind shift um, that, that folks have to make to, to really leverage, you know, what the cloud's meant to be. And the same thing with the CISOs organization, right? I got I to get away from looking at a 10-year sort of um, uh, life, life plan with some vendor. Uh, I need to have a 10-year roadmap, right? But I should be assuming every two to three years, I'm switching out and I'm going to something different uh, because it's cheaper and it's faster and it's simpler and it's kind of, you know, better advantage in terms of what I need to do. So that mindset, you know, which is very different from, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I got a background in electrical engineering, a master's and a bachelor's degree in it. You know, when I went to school, everybody was like, build a good foundation to then build a, you know, a great building and, and, and you know, going forward. And that's not what it's about today. You know, it's about, you know, when the minute you're building one house, think about how you're going to be moving to the next one. So if I think about all this change and transformation on the horizon and I'm a CISO, how does that change the relationship between the CISO now and the board of directors? How does it change that conversation? The first thing that has to happen is the board of directors needs to stop being educated by the front page of the Wall Street Journal, right? Um, the fact that, and those are the questions, right? You talk to most CISOs, uh, and uh, if they have that relationship with the board, right, they'll be asking about ransomware, and they'll be asking about stuff that they're reading, you know, and in, 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 uh, in, in the front page of these sort of um, business magazines. And the reality is the only thing that makes the front page of these business magazines is things that are very things that are sexy and things that are easy to understand 
you know, within, within a line, right? Um, they're not necessarily the critical components of what a board should be asking about uh, in terms of what's there. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's got to be some sort of um, uh, either a specialist or somebody that's got a broader knowledge base. Uh, again, all of this comes down to knowledge, right, in education. Um, somehow there's got to be a, a knowledge base that occurs sort of outside the context of, um, uh, of whatever you see on the front page of, of whatever business article that you're reading. And I think part of that, you know, uh, has to be, you know, part of the CISO's job is to also do some education, right, in terms of presenting essentially what their objective is in the context of the business, right? How are you facilitating the business, accelerating what it's doing? Um, you know, years ago, we had uh, the, the, the CISO of um, Ferrari, was a customer of mine. Guy's name was Antonio Calabrese, and he used to speak at our our, uh, our customer advisory board events. And, and he was just a phenomenally charismatic Italian guy that you know spoke very you know charming English. And and his favorite sort of thing that he used to say says, you know, why does Ferrari uh, Formula One racing invest you know millions and millions of dollars in braking technology, right? Uh, when the point of of, of uh, racing is going fast, you know. And his point was, well, you know, in order to go fast, you have to be able to stop, right, and control things. So, you know, that's, I think, the way that CISO should be thinking is, you know, the issue of controlling information and, and, and controlling data, controlling sort of flows of information, it's not about slowing down the organization, but it's about having those controls and those safety nets so that the organization can go faster. Um, and that's the way they should be thinking, right? And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, CISO's, don't many times get that broader perspective. So thinking about it that way, how do they communicate that to the board now, right? Because I, I hear a lot of discussions about, oh, well, here's the metrics that you should communicate to the board, right? The, this is the metric set that they're interested in. And then I have some people say, well, no, the board just wants to hear stories. They just want to hear stories. That's all they want to hear. They just want to hear stories and they can relate to stories. I mean, how, what's the approach to a briefing a board right now in your mind considering the change that has to take place and what has to be communicated to them? I think it's a combination of uh, metrics, but metrics not in terms of security metric, metrics in terms of how sort of mitigating risks enables more business to occur, right, in terms of what's there. But um, because at this point, the job as the CISO is to also be educating the board, um, I think there's no better way to get people's attention and to educate them on a topic other than through stories, right? Um, so, so I think both have a really critical role. The stories is how you're going to get people's attention. The stories are how people are going to, you know, listen to you and, and, and potentially learn about some stuff you want them to be more aware of, and especially in the context of the business that you're, you're working within. But at the same time, correlating what you're doing and connecting that um, to business objectives, I think is also going to be helpful. So should every board of directors have one person at least, at least one person on the board that has experience in the information security space so they can rely on that person to give opinions that affect board decisions? Absolutely. I, I think it's an absolute requirement. I mean, there's typically anywhere from, you know, 10 to right 15 board members in, 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 in these situations. And I think to allocate, you know, one of those positions to somebody that has at least some expertise in that area um, is, uh, uh, is critical because it's only going to get more and more complicated. Um, and, uh, but the solutions are not necessarily going to be more complicated. I think the solutions are going to get simpler and more straightforward. Um, but the, the problem is going to get more complex. So is this a trend that you see happening or, you know, I see some examples of it, but I, you know, do you see it actually happening across the industry? Unfortunately not. Okay. I, I don't. I hope it does begin to happen, but I don't see it happening yet. So should the CISOs be able to articulate in these briefings to the board their return on security investment? I mean, I know, I've heard some different arguments about um, the, the actual reality of you know, CISOs to have the capability to say, yes, this is the return on the security investment. I've talked about this with some other guests. You know, a police officer drives down the street. And who knows how many crimes that person or that police officer has prevented by driving down the street, right? So security in all its forms has has that uh, issue in some uh, sense, uh, some sense of shape or form, right? So in cybersecurity, should we be able to articulate our Rossi 
to the board and you know exactly what the return on the investment is on the money that we spend? In my opinion, no, not not in that context. Not in if you spend one dollar, you 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 uh, you get back two. Um, I think it should be expressed in terms of facilitating um, business objectives. Right? Um, you wanted to grow uh, into Europe. You wanted to be able to go into China. You wanted to do you know whatever the next growth is. There are regulations. There are security issues. There are this. There are that, and enabling that business objective to occur. And here's you know here's the investment we made to facilitate that business to grow a hundred million, a billion, whatever the case may be. The exact correlation is a silly thing to do. It's like, it's like, you know, trying to, trying to do an ROI for insurance, right? Um, it, it, it can't be done, but I think if you can connect it to business objectives and how you facilitated the business, right? Cause that's the way that I think CISO should work is how am I helping the business be more efficient? How am I helping the business stay out of trouble? How am I helping business do, you know, it's the, the old, you know, for everything, right? You invest in, in breaks so that you can go faster, right? So, so how am I helping the company go faster by investing in breaking technology? Nick, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I mean, we're out of time already. I can't believe it. I'd like to have you back often. Some of the stuff that you said was really, really interesting. I know we're going to get a lot of feedback and a lot of commentary on this, which is great. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, we're out of time, folks. I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.